the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I appreciate you tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hard to believe we made it through another week. Uh, just a quick programming note. On Monday, it is a national holiday, and KSLR Studios will be closed. That means we can't do a live show. So we will have a rebroadcast on Monday. And then, Lord willing, I'll be back live on Tuesday of next week. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching. Oh, this is a hard chapter. Important, but it's a hard chapter. Uh, Revelation chapter 16, the end of all of the judgments. God's wrath is finally completely exhausted. And uh, it's time for Jesus to come back. So uh, that's tonight, Revelation chapter 16 at 7 o'clock. If you can't make it here, you can watch it at calvarysa.com on the live stream. Um, I guess that's all I need to say today. Let me get right to questions. My first question comes from Jackie. She says, I know your church has corporate prayer, but how do you reconcile that with Jesus telling us to pray in private to not attract attention to yourself? Jackie, you're confusing two completely different things. Um, We do have corporate prayer. In fact, on Saturday mornings at 930, uh, we've been having corporate prayer for a very long time now. And um, uh, we just, boy, the Lord has so blessed. And it's a time where the body comes together and we pray. We just storm the throne of grace with our prayers. God hears and God, believe me, he answers. And that's something we're told to do. You know, over and over in Scripture are the uh, the, the commendations to, to pray together. Uh, Jesus said, where two or more of you are gathered together, I'm there in your midst. So the idea there is prayer is a good thing. And so we're supposed to be praying. Jesus didn't tell us to pray in private. He told the religious leaders who were praying with the wrong motive, and you'll see, Jackie, that motive is everything. He told them that the way they were praying was an offense to God. They would stop on the street at the time of prayer. They would make a big show of their prayers. And the idea was to show everybody how spiritual they were. 
you know, they were the ones that wanted everybody's respect. They're the ones that, that, that supposedly had all the answers to the law. And uh, Jesus just said, you know, they, they don't get it at all. And the reason that he told them don't pray like they do is because they were praying with the wrong motive. Their heart was only to pray for show. And that helped them in their position. It helped them take advantage of people, all that kind of stuff. So, Jackie, we're told to pray together. Um, One of the things that's true whenever we pray is that motive is everything. And if your heart is right before the Lord, um, if you're making requests according to the will of God, then God delights in the fact that we're praying. Our corporate prayer, Jackie, is, is about an hour long. Um, we do it consistently on Saturday mornings. And again, I don't know how long, but it's been years and years and years now that we've been doing it. we got a really good crowd. And one of the neat things is you really get to know people. Um, when you hear people pray, you really get to know their heart. And you, you, you can tell who's been in the Word because they're praying the Word of God. You can tell uh, who's used to praying because they pray like it's a conversation between them and the Lord. They're not trying to show off or show out. So um, study your Bible a little bit more closely. Jesus didn't tell us not to pray corporately, um, but he always told us to pray with the right heart and for the will of God, and prayers will always get answered. Jackie, prayer has motive, just like everything we do for the Lord. Motive is everything. So I hope that answers your question, Jackie. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, my question is about dealing with anger. Sometimes I have to vent or the anger builds up. When I do, it gets better. But I hurt people in the process. How do I let off steam and not cause hurt to others? Uh, Anonymous, it's, it's, uh, I want to be really careful because I don't want you to tune me out here. Um, Let me just say this. It's never okay to vent. Never. Uh, Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Look at the list of the bad fruit of the flesh and the things that you're dealing with, the anger that you're talking about, and then the eruption when you do vent. Uh, All of that stuff is on the bad list of fruit. What right do we as Christians have ever, ever to demonstrate bad fruit? I think this is one of the problems in our psychology-heavy country and so, so much of our church is shrouded in psychology. You see, our, our emphasis is on their own pronouns. All of our pronouns are very personal pronouns. I have to vent. I have to let off steam. Uh, how can I uh, do what I want, let off steam, and not cause pain to others? Um, you know, we, we simply don't have a right. We simply don't have a right. We're told by the Lord to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Galatians chapter 5, in the good fruit of the Spirit also includes self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're in the Spirit, then you're going to be able to um, uh, control yourself. You, you, don't, you don't need to let stuff off. The other thing, Anonymous, that we never have a right to do is to hurt somebody else. We have no right to mess with other people's lives. We have no right to cause anybody else pain. And especially we lose any rights if, in fact, the reason we're hurting people is so that we'll feel better. And so this is where we have to take the Apostle Paul's advice and and take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. And if we do that, the power of the Holy Spirit will relieve the steam. You know, Jesus told his disciples uh, when they were at their uh, most crestfallen, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And the idea is he's offering us his personal peace. And if you're letting anger build up, if you're not dealing with it, then his peace is not available to you. So remember, this isn't about how you feel or what makes you feel better. This is about what can we do that will bring honor and glory to the Lord. You know, I'll take it one step farther, Anonymous. I have said many times, and I usually get some flack when I do, but I've said many times that, A husband and wife even should never argue. 
How could we ever explain to Jesus why we were in the flesh? How could we ever explain to Jesus why we said uh, hard things or bad things to people that he loves, people that he's put in our lives? Husbands and wives are supposed to get together and be one flesh, not two people arguing with one another. Imagine the things that children have heard. And Anonymous, since there's no name here, I can say this. Imagine that the things your children, if you have children, imagine the things that they've heard in your home. If you've got a vent and you just let go, imagine the things that they've heard their their mom or their dad say. So these are really important things to consider. And we've got to get to the place where when we sin, we hate it so much that we are determined that we're not going to do it again. And then because the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, we no longer have to lose our temper. We no longer have to demonstrate the bad fruit of the flesh. Uh, from Galatians 5.19 forward, uh, all we have to do is be with Jesus and then our Christ-likeness comes out. But I think this idea that, you know, I've got to let go of the pressure or I need to be satisfied, I think that's behind a lot of our, our issues. Anonymous, we've got to remember it's not about us. Our life is about Jesus. Our life is to be lived toward Jesus. And if we don't understand that, then we're going to do the things you said you've got to vent or the anger builds up. How would you ever explain to Jesus losing your temper in front of people that he's put in your own home or or in your your workplace or wherever it is that you vent? So remember, anger is not a good thing. We have no right to our anger. We're not our own. We're bought with the price. And I realize that when I say things like this, people get really frustrated. Well, you expect us to be perfect. I actually had somebody call the show uh, last week and say that very thing. Uh, I don't expect you to be perfect, but I expect you to love Jesus. And I expect that when we sin, we hate it. You know, Anonymous, and I'll I'll move on now, but, but the study I'm doing tonight is a demonstration of how much God hates sin. Revelation chapter 16. God doesn't delight in the judgment of the wicked. But his wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world shows you how much he hates sin. And it's our responsibility to hate it as much as he does. And the honest truth is we just don't. We just don't. So I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Linda. She says, you mentioned in your sermon yesterday, she must mean Sunday, that we should tell people to follow me as I follow Christ. Don't you think that's being proud or even arrogant? Linda, uh, I don't. In fact, um, uh, this is something, and you're right, it was last Sunday when I I spoke uh, about this. Um, As a Christian, somebody who's following Jesus, we ought to be able to say to everybody in our life, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Watch what I do and do the same thing. That's not arrogant. That's not saying that we got it all figured out or anything else. It just means that we can walk with Jesus because he told us to follow him. And anybody and everybody who's following Jesus ought to be able to look around at the people watching them and say, okay, just keep watching. Just keep following me because I'm going to be following Christ. And Linda, this is something that we ought to be able to do um, uh, to, to everybody in our lives, our witness matters. And we're here to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So if you can't say to people, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, that doesn't mean you're telling anybody that you're perfect or you've got the whole thing figured out. What it means is that you're doing your best to follow Jesus. And if you mess up, then you repent with your whole heart and God restores you forgives you, restores you, and empowers you to keep on going. And even if you take a few errant steps on your walk with Jesus, uh, a quick I'm sorry gets you right back in line where he wants us to be. So, no, we should be, every Christian should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And that doesn't put any more pressure on us. That's not an ounce of arrogance. That's very simply saying, um, I'm going to please Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can to follow him. And I want you to follow me as I follow him. I hope that makes sense to you. 
Here is an anonymous question. I am a senior in a church where the emphasis on younger and younger people, younger leaders, and even a younger style. I feel I'm being abandoned. Uh, anonymous, I've, I've heard this from people before. I, too, am a senior in a church, so uh, I get you. Um, but, but please hear my heart on this. The younger people coming to your church, they really need you. Remember, you're not going to church. As a mature Christian, you're not going to church to be ministered to. You're not going to church to be served. You're not going to church to be blessed by other people. Now, all of those things will happen. But you're going to church to be a blessing to the Lord. You're going to the church to be a blessing to the church at large. And you are particularly going to church to be a blessing to those who are hurting. And as a senior citizen, um, so many young people, they need you. They need to know what you've learned in the years that you've been walking with the Lord. And so what I would say to you is, uh, if the church is good, if the church, if they're, they're teaching the word, um, what I would say, I would do two things. The first thing, I would just sort of suck it up a little bit. If you don't like the music, um, uh, if you don't like the way people are dressing, none of that really matters. You can still worship God with all of your heart. In fact, we're told it's a sacrifice of praise. So if you're able to praise the Lord when you don't particularly like the music, that's even better. That's a sacrifice. You're giving yourself to the Lord. So um, just be tough. Again, if your church is a good one, you, the word is being taught. The second thing I would do is I would go out of my way if I were you to meet younger people. Introduce yourself to them. You take the step of faith and say, uh, my name is, you can't say anonymous because then that won't work, but you could say my name is and, and uh, you know, in, invite a younger couple. Um to lunch with you after church or sit down and talk in the same breath. For younger people in the church, you really need the senior citizens. You need to take the initiative, go meet them, introduce yourself to them, and just sort of drink in their experience. We've got people at our church, uh, Anonymous, who... Um, uh, I mean, I've been here obviously 26 and a half years, and we got some people who've been here pretty much the whole time. Now, we got a lot, a lot of young people, um, but we've got uh, a lot of people who are older and a whole bunch more who are somewhere in between. And it's a good thing, and I'm encouraging that kind of interaction. Stretch your comfort zone. Younger people, go find old people and make a friend. Um, uh, older people, go find younger people and make a friend. And take advantage of what it's like just to be in the body of Christ. This is the body, heaven. We're not going to separate in heaven. So um, I feel for you insofar as I think the emphasis on attracting young people has gotten out of hand in many, many, many churches. Um, you know, the children are our future is nothing more than a cliche. Our future is with Christ and we're all going to be together in heaven. However, if you find yourself in that situation, remember God has still given you gifts. He wants you to use them and you can be a blessing to those people. Let me just say a word, pastors, if you're listening, and I know many do, I get emails and questions from you. Um, don't ignore the people that built your church. I found that a hard lesson. We all get old. We all get old. Now, our church, we don't, we haven't changed our style because I, I don't even have a style. So we can't change. Uh, um, I, I mean, I can't do anything different than what I do. But we really need to really appreciate the contributions that the senior citizens among us have made over the years. I know one church where the pastor, uh, at a pastor change, where he got so um, um, intent on making his church younger and younger. You know, all the gray hairs out there, we got to get younger and younger people. Um, and he chased all of the older people away, and they just happened to be the ones who were able to give. They were the ones who served when they were younger. 
They were the ones who had put so much in terms of sacrifice into their service and into their giving. And suddenly the church now is just, well, it's not anything close to what it used to be. So remember, we're one body. And just as we're not to look at different types of people, different nationalities of people, age is nothing more than than just that. It's just, if I see somebody who's old, that's experience. I love the fact that when people come to me, and we don't have time to counsel all the people that want counseling, and so we'll, we'll, we've got some really gifted people, and, and when especially marriage counseling, when young married people come and they, they're having problems, I've got four or five different uh, older Christians, mature, fruitful, older Christians, who I can uh, set them up with immediately. They don't have to wait for an appointment. I can set them up with immediately, and believe me, There's a lot of fruit that comes from that. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thank you for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Um, Thank you. I wish wish this call would be different, but uh, I need need prayer. I've been in the hospital since Wednesday night. Uh, Yeah, my sugar's... Out of control, but um, I, I don't know what happened yesterday. But they took an X-ray of my abdomen, and they found a, another obstruction in my in my bowel. And I don't know if you remember back in 2020, April of 2020. That's the one that almost killed me. And yeah, I remember. Um, <clears throat> so they're going to have to do surgery on that one, and. Um, I'm fearful. I'm not going to lie. I'm fearful. And um, they're going to do it in San Antonio uh, next Thursday at Metropolitan. Uh, uh, I think that's what it's called. Metropolitan, San Antonio Metropolitan. It's over there by SAC. Okay. I'm not familiar yeah. with that name. That's where it's yes, going to be. Yeah, I could call the church uh, when I get there and tell you exactly what room I'll be in, and um, I got I got to be there Thursday at seven, so they can do all that stuff. And I, I ask all the saints of God to please keep me in prayer. Uh, I know I shouldn't be fearful, but I am fearful. Yeah, and and you know when Jesus told us not to be afraid, Reuben. Uh, he knows we're afraid. That's why he kept saying it over and over and over. He knows that's the natural human condition. Uh, I would be fearful. I, I had surgeries, you know, and and I was fearful. So, uh, but but it's what you do with your fear. So don't let the enemy heap condemnation on you. Uh, just keep taking your fear to the Lord. Your life has been in His hands, um, and you have have done so well, and He is so pleased. Um, um, just, just, just keep giving him the fear. Don't leave an opening for the enemy to come through. Obviously, uh, Ruben, you you weren't able to hear the radio show yesterday. Paula talked about you a lot, so uh, if you want to go into the archives and listen to what she said, uh, do that. That will encourage you a whole bunch. But we will be praying. And yes, please, please uh, call us and let us know where you are, how you can be reached, and if there's anything you have need of. Okay. Okay. Uh, where, where, where can I find? I know it's, I know it's a uh, Calvary Chapel SA, but what's the name of yesterday's show? Or what number was it? Uh, I don't know. How does it get? Ruben, my producer, is going to try to figure out how to do it. But you can find it pretty easily, I think. But he said it's by date. Yesterday was the 17th. By date? Okay. Okay. Yes. So it's by date. Okay. God bless you, my friend. We're praying. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Your toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Ruben has been through so much. Um, he's become familiar to you who are regular listeners, uh, and now he's going through it again. So please cover Ruben uh, and his doctors in your prayers uh, for his surgery next Thursday, and we will give you updates as we are able to get them as well. 
Hate to hear that. Here is a question from Mickey. Uh, I think this is Mickey spelled like a man would spell it. If a Christian is divorced, can they remarry? Um, Mickey, it depends on the circumstances of their divorce, but, but I'll say it this way. If you divorce for biblical reason, in other words, if you are free, uh, Scripture gives us things that we're free to divorce for. Uh, if you're free to divorce, you are always free to remarry. So, so if a Christian is divorced, uh, he or she can remarry. Uh, the only thing that you, you wouldn't be able to remarry if you divorced uh, without biblical grounds. Let's say uh, your, your husband or your wife uh, was, was happy to stay with you. Um, they, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't cheat on you. Uh, they're not abusing you. Uh, they haven't abandoned you. Uh, then if you get divorced just because you can't take it anymore, don't want to take it anymore, Paul says, then you must remain unmarried. That's a bitter pill for people to swallow, but that's exactly what the word says. So if you're free to divorce, you're always free to remarry. Well, we have 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. It's the Friday show, 340-9585. Here's a question from our mobile app from Kirby. Hope I got a call first. Don't like to leave people on the phone waiting. We got Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, good to hear from you. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was reading hi. in Hi, okay. So I was reading in uh, Mark one today on verse twelve and I ran across something I hadn't thought about before. Now, Jesus is being you know, he's in the in the wilderness and he's and Satan's being a pest and and it says, um, he was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, the part that really caught my eye was he was with wild animals. And what I was kind of wondering about was, we know that, that the human side of Jesus had emotion. He had, he had, he had uh, happiness. He had joy. He had, like Gail Irvin says, abounding in love. And he had sadness. <laughs> And what I was thinking about was I wondered if he ever experienced kind of like a, a scared, you know, like a scaredy thing in the sense of wild animals. Because, okay, now in Kingman, Arizona, there are these, these, um, these, these wild boar or hogs or something, and they are nasty. You see one of those, you run in your house and you just shut the door. They're really bad. So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, uncontrollable wild animals if he would have ever had a, uh-oh, there, there's, there's one of those over there right now. But then, of course, he would know he doesn't have to be afraid. Or was it in there just to show us, you know, that he didn't have to be afraid? And the other thing I was wondering about is where did it start saying the Holy Ghost instead of the Holy Spirit? Because when I hear the Holy Ghost, it just kind of doesn't sound, it sounds like ghosty in a way. It doesn't sound right. But the Holy Spirit... You Sounds right. So, I'll leave you with that, and you can untangle it, and I'll okay. get my before you be, before you hang before you hang up. What verse are you okay. talking about in in Mark? Oh, in Mark, it's uh, chapter one, verse twelve. Verse twelve. Okay, thank you very much. I'll get those. The the first one, the second question, I can answer very quickly. Um. He was with wild animals, angels attended. The, 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 let me talk about the Holy Ghost first. The, the Holy Ghost, that's, that's just a King James translation of, of uh, the Holy Spirit. So it's the same thing. It, it's not freaky or anything. It's just the old English translation of spirit. They would have referred to it as spirit. Remember, language is not static. It continues to grow. So um, it's, it's just one of those things that, that's probably the reason that we need newer translations. But there's nothing 
ghostly about it. Uh, it's just a, it's just a word that was used for spirit um, back in the, the 17th century. Um, and that's why it was translated that way. So uh, I prefer the Holy Spirit a, a whole bunch. But people that have been in church their whole lives, especially people that have come from a charismatic or Pentecostal trend, uh, tradition, uh, uh, Holy Ghost and Holy Ghost fire, uh, they, they mean exactly the same thing. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, re- regarding Jesus being afraid, you know, I find that when Jesus was walking through this world, um, the only creation, the only creatures, better way to put it, the only creatures that disobeyed him were humans. Animals obeyed him. Demon spirits obeyed him. Only humans disobeyed. And so the fact that he was out there with the wild animals uh, and the angels attended him. Uh, they they weren't protecting him or anything. Um, you know, I imagine, and and this is just the way my brain works, Cindy. I imagine that those wild animals were like pets to him. You know, it wasn't like David having to kill a bear and a lion. And lions and bears and tigers were abundant in that part of the world in Jesus' time. So. Um, I'm sure the angels uh, around him, I'm sure um, the, the, the animals, the wild animals, knew who their creator was. And so there, there wouldn't have been a moment where Jesus would have been afraid. Uh, he will later say that he's never alone. The Father's always with him. So he knew exactly what he was doing, and that wouldn't have been, been any kind of a problem whatsoever for Jesus. We'd be afraid. I'd be afraid. but But they wouldn't. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much, Cindy. Here is a question from the one from Kirby from our mobile app. Once Solomon brought the ark into the temple he built in 1 Kings 8, what happened to the wilderness tabernacle? I was thinking that it was still in use for occasions when the ark was brought out for an extended time, such as during war. You know, Kirby, that's a great question because there's no... Um, biblical explanation. I am certain that it was destroyed. Uh, I, I'm certain that, um, um, you know, it was graduation time. Um, God would no longer be in the tabernacle. Um, and, and once the ark left, remember the ark is the symbolic presence of God. So once the presence of God uh, left the tabernacle, and filled the new temple of Solomon, um, the tabernacle would have been um, without any value. Uh, I'm sure it was destroyed. And the reason I say that, probably consumed by fire from heaven. I don't know, though, for sure. Um, but but in all likelihood, um, had that tabernacle uh, been able to be found, uh, of course, it would have turned into an object of worship as well. So God um, was pretty good about destroying the things that would have been a stumbling block or a snare. So um, it was, it was, um, it just disappears from the page of Scripture because it disappears in terms of having any value at all. Good and good question. I never thought of that before. You know, in the study, and it was last night we did, or no, Wednesday night, did the study in First Kings chapter 8. And, um, um, when when the ark was moved and the the ark was opened to be placed into the temple, uh, the only thing that was found in the ark were the two tablets of stone containing the law, the, the same tablets that Moses brought down. I mean, think about this. Now, we're talking hundreds of years, and to, to have those tablets would be amazing. But the golden jar of manna and Aaron's staff that had budded, they were gone, so we don't know what happened to them either. No more use necessary. Here's a question from Scott from our mobile app. When we're in our heavenly bodies, will we still be able to distinguish between male and female? Yes, Scott, of course we will. Now, one of the things, and I say this without one ounce of flippancy, Scott, we will, there's no possibility that we're going to know less in heaven than we know here on earth. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we know in part, but then we will know fully as we are fully known by God. So yes, we're still God's creation, male and female, he created them. So we will uh, be able to distinguish between male and female. 
And uh, there won't be any questions about gender identity when we get to heaven, for sure. Good question, Scott. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from um, Anonymous for a real Christian. How prosperous is too prosperous? Is it okay to have nice things? Um, It's an interesting question. I haven't thought about that. Uh, Yeah, God has nothing against prosperity. Um, The only time God hates um, uh, any notion of prosperity is when it becomes a snare, when it keeps people from coming to him. You know, um, Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason is because rich people depend on their wealth rather than depending on God. So the answer uh, here is, yeah, God has no problem with prosperity. And, you know, when you talk about a scale, somebody who makes the kind of money I make, and then there's somebody who's really, really rich, well, they have nicer things than I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they spend a percentage of their money on on clothes and houses and cars, just like the rest of us do. Um, but it's probably pretty much the same percentage. In fact, many times they spend even less in terms of percentage, but they have nicer things. So there's nothing at all wrong with being prosperous. Um, you've got nice things. You understand that God has blessed you, and he's really in control of those nice things, and you're willing, uh, you're, you're, you're being generous. Uh, you realize that, that whatever God has blessed you with belongs to him, and he's the one who gets direct how you spend it, of course it's okay to have really, really nice things. And I know a lot of people have got really, really nice things. And they love Jesus with all of their heart. And when Jesus knocks on the door of their heart and says, give, boy, are they ever more than willing to do it. So, um, yeah, for for a real Christian, for sure. Um, if you've got a lot, God bless you. He has just make sure you understand who owns those resources. I've told this story before, Anonymous, on the radio program, but uh, I was a beneficiary of a very a billionaire. Um, I don't know who he was or who she was, but this was a, uh, I actually know this was a man. Um, when I went to Bible college, I, was, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford to pay the second semester. And so I thought I was going to have to leave the Bible college. I went to the pastor. Um, who headed up to the Bible college. And I told him, I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to leave because I can't pay. And he said, well, just calm down. You know, Give me about a week. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And a couple of weeks went by and he didn't say anything. And I started to feel really guilty about being there because I, I couldn't afford to pay. So I went to him again. He goes, oh, no, I took care of that. And he explained that there's a, a guy who was a billionaire and he said, uh, told uh, the pastors there, he said, look, if you've got people that are, 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 are hard workers and they're gifted and, and, and they have promised uh, they can't pay, just you let me know and I'll pay. And uh, when uh, he didn't tell me that, and then when he told me, I was just so blown away by God's goodness. But uh, the, the pastor at the Bible college told me, he said, you know, this guy has so much money, he's almost embarrassed by it. He says, I keep shoveling it out the front door, and God has a bigger shovel, and he keeps shoveling it in the back door. Well, it's because God could trust him with wealth. God could trust him with his material stuff. And um, I am a beneficiary, and imagine the rewards that that guy gets just for me, and I'm sure he supported other people as well. So, good question. Um, Vince says, how should we share the gospel with gay people? Um, Vince, in as non-confrontational way as possible, here's how we should share the gospel to everybody. Can I tell you about Jesus? He loves you. He proved it by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He wants to forgive you. And bring you to heaven. And all you have to do is ask Jesus Christ into your heart. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they say, well, how do you know it's true? Just say, well, he, he was alive. Historically, he, he, there's no doubt that Jesus was a real person. We also know historically with overwhelming evidence that they killed him. He was murdered, crucified. And we know with equal historicity that he didn't stay dead. He's alive. 
and he was seen by a bunch of people, and the evidence is so overwhelming, the tomb was empty, and that means Jesus really is the Son of God, and he loves you. Now, see, I could do that without saying one word about being gay. Now, in all likelihood, they're going to respond to you because they're very proud. I say that with sadness in my heart of being gay. And if they ask you, do I have to stop being gay? Say, you know what you need to do? You need to let Jesus tell you what to do. He wants to forgive you of your sins. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. But he loves you. And then let the Holy Spirit have the rest of it. But Vince, too, too often our focus is on what people are doing instead of just the, the focus on them being lost. Again, we always want to be direct. We want to answer questions honestly. We don't want anybody to walk away and think that they can say yes to Jesus and continue to live uh, in a lifestyle, any kind of lifestyle that is in rebellion against God. But how about we just catch the fish and let Jesus clean them? And I don't think that's what we do. Thank you very much, Vince. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I probably would have called yesterday, but I was having too much fun enjoying you and Paula. (laughs) Thank you, Ray. You're too nice. But but she had led into a couple of things, and so did you. Uh, One about your your ringtone with the Beach Boys deal, and I thought, (laughs) uh, according to what was going on it, I, I really liked uh, a short little lyric uh, by Stevie Guitar Miller Fly Like an Eagle <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you're familiar with that song but yeah uh, I am I am yeah. and I thought that was kind of apropos um, so, Ray, and, you're, you're giving you're giving both of our ages away when you talk about that song. Oh, you're a, you're a youngster <laughs> coming to me. God bless you. Uh, I, saw, I saw Ringo uh, recently uh, on something, and uh, he looks so young and dark hair, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a, a you know his hairdresser or something, but. Uh, he was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's the fact that he's a drummer. Drummers stay young. But uh, then <laughs> another thing that had come up was this. Uh, have you ever heard of a, a, a woman that, uh, I don't know if she's got a blog or a TikTok or whatever you call it, uh, uh, California preaching, but uh, mm. it, it she she explained that uh, that was kind of a play on uh, California dreaming, you know. <laughs> and uh, she she did confess that well, no, I'm not a preacher, but uh, you know, since I've been walking with uh, Jesus, following that, uh, it, I'm I'm not sinless, but I sin less. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool. But, yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's, so I don't know if you have come across her or what. Well, I just I just Googled and I see it's somebody named Cynthia Phillips Baldwin. I will check it out, Ray. That's cool. China, not Cynthia. Oh, Cynthia Phillips or China Phillips. She was in the Mamas and the Papas. So I know who that was. Yes, very cool. I, I will check that out. Well, we're getting old. Thank you, Ray. God bless. Here is a question from Francis. Why are people still wearing masks in church? Francis, if people want to wear masks in church, they can wear masks in church. Why does it bother you? If they don't bug you about not wearing a mask, you have no right to bug them about wearing a mask. It's an amazing thing. We've come to the place... In the world that we live in, we're so divisive and we're so set on confrontation and winning arguments that we no longer give people the freedom to do what they want. That's a horrible, horrible thing. So, Francis, um, you need to look in, not out. And if somebody is wearing a mask, love on them. 
give him the benefit of the doubt and uh, hope that you receive the same thing for the people because I've had this question, why aren't people wearing masks in church? I've had that question as well. What we need to do is just give people the freedom to live the way they want to live. I, I don't know what to say to the question. People are still wearing masks for lots of reasons. Here's a question for Eddie, from Eddie, rather. Eddie says, is there a specific percentage Christians should be giving? Um, no, Eddie. Um, um, you you hear no doubt about uh, Christians tithing. Tithing means a tenth. And for a lot of Christians um, and a lot of churches, um, um, 10% is is a guideline. And, and people feel like that's a, something they can live with. And so they give 10%. But remember, Eddie, that's a, an Old Testament law. It has nothing to do with New Testament Christians. 10% was the beginning of the Jewish tithe. That's what was required under law. Don't you think that we who are under grace ought to be more generous? So, no, there's not a specific percentage. I also think, Eddie, that the 10% number is used often because it gives, uh, it, it sort of places a comfortable limit on giving. You know, what our announcer says every Sunday is, is uh, ask the Lord um, when to give and how much to give, and he'll let you know, and then give and be obedient and give with a cheerful heart. Uh, and I think, I think there's a lot of Christians who like to hold on to this 10% because what if God asks for 15 or what if God asks for 20 or God forbid, what if God asks for 30? But, but I think giving um, ought to be done uh, just between you and the Lord and, and, and he, you know, like everything else, he will lead and guide and give you direction. So give what you're comfortable. He wants you to give from a cheerful heart. He doesn't want you to feel uh, guilty if you don't give. He doesn't want you to feel um, pressured to give. So just say, Lord, and this is the best way to do it, Eddie. Ask for wisdom, James says, and God gives it generously. Just say, Lord, you have this much money, whatever your money is. I'll make it easy. $1,000. That's how much money you've got, Lord. What do you want me to do with your money? And there's no way God won't speak to your heart. There's no way that God won't um, let you know how you can be faithful with his resources. And then when he tells you what to do, do it. So no, there's no specific percentage. I want to repeat again that for New Testament Christians... A tithe or a ten percent is is simply um, not required. It's 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 almost what people do because they're compelled to do it, um, and and that's not the kind of offering that the Lord wants. He wants the offering to come from, as I said, a cheerful heart. Okay, this will be the last question we make uh, we get for this week. It is from Aldo. Um, Pastor Ron, what would you do if professing Christian relatives told you that you could come to their house, but you can't speak about Jesus? Uh, although I wouldn't go, period. I wouldn't go. If I can't take Jesus with me, then uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to go myself. And I would have no problem telling relatives, whether they were our kids, our cousins, our parents, I, I, would, I would have no problem at all just saying, look, I... I Jesus is my whole life. I love him with all of my heart. I can't stop talking about him. So if you don't want Jesus there, then I'm not welcome either. And tell him it breaks your heart, but you'll honor their request. But no, you can't go to their house and not speak about Jesus. How could you speak about anything else? You know, for the real Christian, for a genuine believer, Aldo, um, Jesus is always on our lips. And especially when you've got these, you said, professing Christian relatives, um, you know, they really need to know Jesus. So they're the ones who need to hear about him the most. And when we take a stand, when we say to somebody, look, I love you so much, I can't imagine heaven without you. And so I'm going to tell you about Jesus. If they say you're a Christian, then you're going to ask them, well, well, if you're really a Christian, how could you not want me to talk about Jesus? We should be able to sit up all night and talk about Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit use your witness to them to sort of knock on the door of their hearts. 
So although that's really, really important, you can't go anywhere without him. You can't help but talk about him. And uh, I think being very direct, loving, non-confrontational, but very direct is the best way to do it. Uh, I, I have time for one more quick question. This is from Danny. He says, where did Jesus and the thief on the cross go if Jesus hadn't yet ascended into heaven? Mary, you remember, uh, was was holding on. Jesus said, no, don't hold on to me for I've still got to go to my father and your father. Uh, Jesus and the thief on the cross went into paradise. Luke chapter 16 talks about a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom and the righteous dead went there. Now, on the other side of that compartment, there's a gulch between them, was the place of torment. And they were conscious. They could see one side to the other. But uh, Jesus had to go and set the captives free. And by the captives, I mean those who are on their way to heaven because of faith in Jesus Christ, um, but, but hadn't yet been there because paradise, as wonderful as it was, was still constraining them from going to their ultimate destination. So when Jesus descended in lower parts of the earth, he preached a victory declaration to those who were being held in torment, and then he took those who were being held in paradise in his train to heaven. So, Danny, that's where he was. Um, And then he, thank the Lord, came back. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Reminder, on Monday, President's Day will be rebroadcasting and we'll be back live on Tuesday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving Jesus. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.